Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You're locked in. Look at what we have here, folks. To the only show that matters. The cream of the crop. Duke loves wrestling. And there is no one that does it better than your host... I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. The Duke. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hi, this is Earl Oliver from Sully Finish Wrestling. This is Raj Geary with WrestlingInc.com. This is Sean Reed, boxing writer and undercover low-key wrestling fan. And you're listening to Duke Love Wrestling. Woo! Welcome back to the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast, the show about pro wrestling and everything else. Folks, I hope you and all of your loved ones out there are safe, doing all right. I can tell you here in Boston, the weather is just all over the place. It's hot, it's cold, it's hot, it's cold, it's in between. But like they say, just don't blink your eyes because it's going to change before you know it. That's right. Folks, I'm so excited because literally one of my heroes in life I was able to connect with, and somehow, some way, you know, through through the grace of the of the cosmos, they had an opening in their schedule. They wanted to come on to the show and have a great conversation. So it's it's pretty cool to be able to put this together, um, and I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, literally one of the leaders, one of the leaders in the world, when it comes to discussing the cosmos, when it comes to discussing space. I mean, let me tell you something. If E.T. were to drop onto the earth right now, our guest this week would be definitely one of the main people, if not the main person, that would have to talk to E.T. So I'll let you know everything you need to know, okay? So without further ado, welcome to the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast, Dr. Lucianne Walkowicz. How are you there, Dr. Lucianne? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's it's really fun to be able to do this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna peel back the curtain a little bit because when we initially spoke, and I let you know, you know, technically this is a pro wrestling podcast. One of the things you said to me is, "Well, I don't really know much about pro wrestling," but then you mentioned two wrestlers that you know about. So, so come on, <laughs> what's what's going on here, Doctor? Well, uh, for all the kind things that you said about you know the scientific work that I do, I'm definitely one of the world's least experts in pro wrestling, which is that I literally like the only two people I really know. I think what I said to you is that I know that the undertaker is super old and that Mick Foley is really, really cool. <laughs> and that's what I know about wrestling. <laughs> well, well, how do you know that? How do you, how do you know about uh, the undertaker and, and Mick Foley? Um, you know, I think I, I mostly know about them because um, I have a, a handful of friends um, who you know, grew up on wrestling and really love it. My husband um, being foremost amongst them. Um, and uh, my husband is who introduced me to the movie Beyond the Mat, which is where I learned about Milk, Mick Foley. And yeah, that's about, that's about it. <laughs> well, shout out to your husband. He, he must be a, a really cool person, his own self there. If he's having you watch big time documentaries like Beyond the Mat. I mean, that really, really humanized pro wrestlers it gave folks a chance to see that you know there's a person behind that that larger than life superhero sort of deal there 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like learning that Mick Foley has dedicated hours and hours of his life to answering like sexual assault crisis lines is you, you could not uh, give someone a better recommendation (laughs) as a person, I think. Sure. Absolutely. And you know, the undertaker is technically, you know, his other nickname is the, the dead man. So his gimmick is that he's, he's resurrected, right? He was, he was a person who died and then came back to life and now he's unleashing all of his superpowers. So that, that, that's kind of an interesting concept, especially with your line of work there. What do you think about that? I, I mean, it sounds like he set himself up to work forever as long as he can actually solve the human mortality problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, he'll have a long career ahead of him if he can actually get resurrected. That's for sure. That's for sure. You know, Dr. Dr. Lucien, one of the hardest things about someone like yourself, you're so accomplished and what have you it is very difficult to classify like if you were to say yeah you know i'm lucien this is what i do how do you personally identify yourself how do you classify yourself professionally um that's a good question i uh you know i often just say that i'm an astronomer because that's where my like formal training is in i went to school for physics and then for astronomy um, so that's what my degrees are in. It's like kind of what my, it's even what my job title is. Uh, I work at the Adler Planetarium, as I think you may have mentioned. Um, and, you know, my job title is just astronomer. So I often just say that, you know, depending on who I'm talking to, I'll also, you know, like mention, I'm also an artist. Um, and I spend a fair amount of time on activism. Um, although I don't like introducing myself as an activist, because I, I think that's a, that's a title that uh, should be obvious from a person's actions and not something that they just get to wear like an accessory. But yeah, I think it, you know, I just, I usually just start with astronomer and go from there. <laughs> Which that's a, that's a, a big deal there. So you're somebody who is literally, you've dedicated your life to studying what's out there. What's, what's beyond what we have here at home. Uh, in order to understand what we have here at home. I, am I classifying that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. Most of my career has been spent on studying things that are really far away, whether it's you know stars or planets that are around distant stars outside of our solar system. But in the past couple of years in particular, I've been really interested in um, some of the ethical questions around like human space exploration, particularly like ideas about going and living on Mars. And so, you know, I, I like to think that I work on this planet and I think about other planets elsewhere in the universe. You know, speaking of that, this is, this is interesting. And again, you know, this is a pro wrestling podcast, Dr. Lucien in the WWE, which both, you know, Mick Foley and the undertaker, they, they wrestle there, they're affiliated, continue to still have legends contracts with the company. Um, They have something called the universal championship. Okay. So this is the top championship in the company. It's bigger than the world championship. It's the universal championship. You got to tell me here, out of all the places in the entire galaxy, is, is, there, is there one area in particular where we'd more likely be able to find an ET that can battle for the WWE universal championship? <laughs> That's a great question. You know, I'll start by saying that, unfortunately, the only place we know of there being life in the universe as as yet, although we are actively looking, is still planet Earth. So you're still, the universal championships are still limited to planet Earth for the the time being. But 
a really like fun thing to do, I think. I, I mean, I'm kind of a dork, so this is fun to me. It might not be fun to everyone, is to think about, you know, like what might life be like on other planets? And one of the things that I, I sometimes think about is that, you know, a lot of the planets that we're finding around other stars, they tend to be around these little red stars that are like not as bright as our sun. So the planets have to be close to them to get a lot of warmth. But kind of ironically, those, those stars also give off a lot of like high energy radiation. So if you wanted to be, you know, an, an animal of some sort, you know, whether ET, whatever, walking around on the surfaces of those planets, you'd need to have like, you know, radiation shielding and be really tough, right? Like your, your exterior would have to be able to shield you and all your DNA from damage from radiation. Because um, that's, you know, if we like come in contact with radiation as human beings, that's the, that's the bad thing that happens is that it like damages all of our cells because it um, disrupts all the bonds in your like molecules that you're made of. Um, so you could imagine that, you know, like in some distant future, <laughs> if we find um, aliens that can live on like one of these highly irradiated worlds, they might be, be really, really tough, um, like literally tough on the outside. On the other hand, they might not be as big as a human and, you know, like cockroaches are pretty tough and you can like microwave a, not that I've ever done this, but you can microwave a cockroach and it will survive, but you can also step on a cockroach. So, you know, just being tough in one way doesn't mean that you'll win the universal championships. So, you know, WWE, the, your superstars still have a shot here. You just heard it from Dr. Lucien. <laughs> Even if we find an ET out in the universe to challenge, they may not, they may be tough, but they may not be so big. So there may be a chance to still defeat them there. One of the things that I, I really appreciate about you, and, and you really got my brain moving here, because you challenged me to think about something that I never considered before. You point out the fact that Mars shouldn't be treated as our backup plan. Okay. It's not our backup planet. Everyone visualize, and this is going way, way back to the point where we realize that planets actually exist. Everyone thinks about Mars as, you know, maybe one day we can, we can colonize Mars and we can go there, especially, you know, cause the earth has, it's, it's finite. I mean, it's, it's, at some point the earth may not exist anymore. So we'll just go to Mars and we'll be able to make it work there. But you say that, that Mars shouldn't be thought of that way. And we really should be focusing on how we can preserve earth. What drove you to that sort of concept? And at least initially when you brought it up, how was that received? The, the idea of Mars as a backup planet, I think has, um, it's been around for a long time, but I think it's been really amplified by a lot of like the private space companies. So um, SpaceX and like, you know, Elon Musk is very vocal um, so he's the head of SpaceX and he's always talking about using Mars as a, like a way of backing up humanity. Um, and, you know, I, uh, I actually kind of got interested in that idea um, in part because I worked for many years on a, a space telescope called Kepler, which was a NASA mission that was supposed to find planets around other stars, you know, very, very distant, like way outside our solar system. And, um, you know, I like Kepler's goal was to figure out if, there were other planets that could potentially be like Earth. And so, you know, like Kepler had been running for many years and I started, I do a lot of like communication with like people who aren't in science about scientific discoveries. And I started to um, have more and more conversations with people who thought that we were looking for these planets around other stars 
so that we could go and leave Earth and move there. And I think that was kind of caused by two things. One is that, you know, a lot of times when press releases go out, people use like Earth 2.0 or like this planet is just like Earth. And oftentimes all we know is like, you know, how big the planet is and like how much light it's getting from its star. We really have no idea if it's like Earth at all. You know, we just know what size it is. Um, which is a big, big difference. You know, like Venus is also the same size as Earth and Venus is like 800 degrees on the surface and you would die immediately if you went there. So I was like, where is this idea that we're like going to leave Earth coming from? And I started to realize that it was because you had folks like Elon Musk talking about, you know, like how we're going to go live on Mars and how that's going to like back up humanity. And I was like, well, that's weird. Because, you know, every time you hear... um, you know, obviously like Musk has a company that is devoted to making rockets. And so, um, you know, it benefits his business if people are like really interested in going to other planets. But also when we talk about like going to Mars, Mars is a a pretty inhospitable place. Like even if we wanted to go there and, you know, like hang out or live there, you know, study Mars, it's a really, really inhospitable place. And you'd still be reliant, um, on the earth for like all of your supplies and your ability to live. And, you know, what I also realized is that when you hear Musk and those folks talking about, you know, this idea of a backup planet, they're always talking about like, well, what happens if an asteroid hits us? You know, I mean, that's like a fair question. Um, (laughs) You know, we have like, I don't personally work on them, but we have other astronomers who, work on like monitoring the sky to make sure that we're not going to get hit by an asteroid and all that sort of stuff. We do occasionally get hit by stuff, but it is very rare. And the number of like large asteroids that are around that might hit us are actually pretty low. So, you know, I was like, well, why would you pick on that and not something like climate change, which is actually happening, actually making it less livable to be here on planet earth. And, you know, in part it's because of personal responsibility. Like for, you know, somebody with, who has literally billions of dollars and could do a lot of things with that money to say that we have to actually leave planet Earth and not to say anything about, you know, what our responsibilities are with the changes that we've made to our own planet. I think that's kind of irresponsible. So that's kind of like just to, that's a very long answer. Sorry about that. <laughs> but that's kind of how I got into thinking this. And also like, you know, what does it mean to like back up humanity? Like a lot of the people that have that idea are tech billionaires who are thinking about what it means to back up their hard drive, but people aren't bits of data. Would you be excited about backing up humanity if you weren't one of the people who was getting backed up in case of disaster? I don't think so. It challenged me on a personal level to rethink what I've been programmed to believe through TV and movies and different teachings and what have you where this is something that we should be focused on. We should be focused on finding another planet. So something that can sustain life so that we can go there and populate and, and, and colonize that. It's, it's really a, a very selfish way of thinking by humans here. Because again, we, we barely can preserve the planet that we live on now. So we're going to go out there and mess something else up. I mean, come on, you know, we, we, you have to really think about that, which it brings me to another uh, more current um, topic here. You know that with everything going on, especially here in America, black Americans being targeted, murdered, 
sometimes by law enforcement. I mean, literally the people whose salaries that our tax dollars are paying for really is an epidemic. And we're living in a time right now where we're seeing protests throughout the nation. Really, as, as far as we know, it's the first time in history that it's, it's gone to this degree. We're seeing mass protests. We're seeing rioting. People are fed up. People are fed up. And it's also the discussion has turned into an us versus them, no matter how you slice it, which is really unfortunate. You've been very vocal on this topic, Dr. Lucien. And as you said, uh, you're a person who advocates for others and what have you. You're an activist. Don't go out there and say, hey, I'm an activist. But through your, your action, it's, it's clear that that's exactly who you are. How important is it to you to preserve human life? And, and with everything that's going on here, how does that play into your studies as well? I really look at the present moment as drawing into really high contrast. You know, like this past Saturday, right, we had this big rocket launch. So this SpaceX rocket, you know, big to do on NASA TV and everything about how this is the first like American made rocket launching American astronauts from American soil, et cetera, et cetera. Um, at the same time as all of the protests were happening for, you know, what what is really the most recent events in a pandemic of Black people being murdered um, through racist actions. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of times when you see events like that launch, and this was very true on um, on Saturday, there's a lot of talk about, you know, like bettering humanity and how going to space is something humans do and humans this and humans that. But, you know, what is so central, right, in, the, in everything that the Black Lives Matter movement has brought to the fore is that not all human lives are being treated as though they are equally valid and equally worthy of protection, of worthy of thriving, let alone surviving. And so, you know, it's, it's hard. I had somebody ask me whether I was, you know, felt inspired by the launch. And I was like, no, I, I, like, I wish I felt inspired by this launch, but I don't. You know, it's, it's really hard to sit and look at presidential administration that has targeted black people in addition to other people of color and, you know, like a white NASA administrator and two white, uh, two white astronauts and, you know, Elon Musk himself, a white billionaire in this moment <laughs> and pretend that people have equal access to things like space, let alone like careers in space sciences and engineering and all of the places that are still very white dominated. And so, you know, I, there's this temptation to think of space as something that is so futuristic and um, abstract that it will like somehow change who we are. But, you know, going to space is very much about the things that we do on earth. I mean, in the most literal sense, like people build those rockets, people, you know, work at in workplaces, you know, like Elon, Elon Musk is, is, uh, and I don't mean to single him out entirely. He's just the most vocal person. Jeff Bezos is, is, uh, this is true of as well, but you know, these are places that are, for example, like very, very anti-union places, um, where that excitement about going to space and all working together towards that is actually used to exploit laborers in many ways. You know, and you, you have like wonderful examples like Leland Melvin, who is a black astronaut, or Mamie Jemison, who was the first black woman in space and, you know, now is an astronaut and uh, 
very vocal uh, STEM and uh, inclusivity advocate, they are far outnumbered by the number of white people who have had the opportunity to participate, whether here on Earth or by going to space. And so, you know, the uh, everything that is being raised by Black Lives Matter um, and their allied movements is that, you know, we <laughs> how are people supposed to dream about going to space at the same time as they're worried about being murdered in their homes, in their cars, on the street, like all of these places, um, just because of who they are. Um, and the fact that they happen to be black people, uh, you know, like it, it cannot be something that scientists even take a, a moment to look away from. It just can't, um, particularly for white scientists like myself. We're talking to astronomer, Dr. Lucien Walkowitz. You know, Dr. Lucien, when, when I think about you, I, I think about rock and roll. I think about hip hop. I think about something that is not the status quo or, or someone, I should say, who's not the status quo, someone who's not afraid to be their original self, be brilliant, be, you know, excel in, in whatever line of work they do, but someone who's not afraid to be themselves as you do it. When we think about scientists and astronomers, we, we visualize a, a middle-aged white male with glasses and a lab coat doing things that don't seem very interesting. So when Dr. Lucienne comes in with her, her different colored hair and her tattoos and her boots with, with you know, things on the multicolored things, sort of what have you, and it's just <laughs> like, this lady is, is an astronomer? I, I mean, really? Even on a personal level, it definitely... You jumped out at me the first time I ever saw you on a program speaking. It was just like, yes, that is science to me. This person right here is who I want to represent what modern science is and will continue to be. And I want others to see this person to know that they can be exactly like Dr. Lucienne and even more. Let's take where you are and build upon that. What do you think when when I when I unload something like that on you? That impression. I mean, you're, you're hip hop. You're rock and roll. You're all that. I, I think that's incredibly kind, and I could not ask for a, a nicer compliment than that. Thank you very much. Well, it's true, and and I wonder about that. I mean, has it been a challenge for you to be yourself as you've continued to literally um, redefine what it means to be? a world-renowned scientist, astronomer, the, you know, all the above, so to speak? Um, yeah, I think at times it has been. Um, you know, I think people are much more open-minded now about, you know, like what you look like and whether, you know, your hair is a weird color or whatever. Um, you know, I think it was much more unusual back when I was in grad school. I, I have had the benefit of you know, really good mentors who have always supported who I was. I've been very lucky in that I haven't had, I've, I've definitely had people, <laughs> you know, like I, I'm certainly not free of like the, you know, I don't experience racism in science, but I do experience sexism in science. And like, that's, I think, an ever-present thing. Um, but I was very lucky in that I had good mentors and good colleagues like through a lot of my education. So I received a lot of support from people and I didn't really have to grapple with those things outside of a few like incidents very much until after I was out of graduate school. 
So, you know, in many ways, I just the path that I took, um, I happened to receive a lot of protection from those sort of like assaults against me being who I am, which helped encourage me to, to be who I am, right? You know, part of that is, I think, there's, there's definitely, while my experience is not the same thing at all, you know, there's part of that, that I think informs how upset I get when I see, um, you know, now my, my students who are mentee, my men, or mentees who are people of color, who are not receiving the kinds of support that they should be. And it's not because of a choice they made, right? Like, it's not because they chose to dye their hair a silly color like I do all the time. You know, they're, they're getting judged on their identity that is a part of their identity that is unmutable, right? And so I think that sense of unfairness of the sort of like freedom that I have experienced versus what I see my peers and, you know, my, my mentees um, experiencing, I think is a, is a source of what drives me to motion on those, those topics. Um, because I have tattoos and, you know, like a nose ring and <laughs> funny colored hair, but everybody's entitled to their own opinion. <laughs> You're somebody who is 100% not what the traditional concept of what a scientist or astronomer would look like. And yet, here you are, somebody that has uh, what's called as a minor planet named after them. You're the first person I've ever met who literally has something like that. So, so talk <laughs> to me about that. that this, first of all, can you define... In, in simple terms, what is a minor planet? And, and then how does it feel to have one named after you? Yeah, um, minor planets is kind of like a catch-all phrase for basically all the rocks in the solar system that aren't big enough to be planets. So like asteroids are good examples of minor planets. So I have an asteroid named after me because I participated in this thing called the Sloan Survey. So the Sloan survey was this uh, telescope. The telescope itself was uh, based in New Mexico. It was uh, started operating like in the very late 90s, early 2000s. Um, so when I was in college and um, the, it was really like revolutionary for astronomy because it, instead of just like observing a couple of stars at a time, um, did this like systematic sweep of the entire night sky. Sky. So it basically took this giant, very deep image of the night sky. And also in that process, it discovered a huge batch of like new asteroids that had never been known before. And a thing that happens in projects like that. So to do like a survey astronomy project, like the Sloan survey requires like hundreds and hundreds of people working together on different aspects of it. Um, so it's very different than like the picture that I think a lot of people have of what being an astronomer is like. And that, you know, there's no like lonely astronomer staring in, into a telescope by themselves. <laughs> I mean, there's some of that as part of the project, but generally speaking, we work in these really big teams. And so as part of that, um, all of us who worked hard on that survey and that like made, made it what it was, got asteroids that it found named after us, which is pretty cool. <laughs> I don't know anyone else that I could say I've ever met who literally has, as you just described it, an asteroid named after them. So that, that is a testament to your hard work and dedication, your excellence in your field. And the best part about it is you're just getting started. So it's because it's, you're, you're still pretty young. So the fact that there's so much more to come from what you're going to continue to contribute 
to the conversation and, and, and to the, the universe. It's just, it's tremendous. Um, I certainly hope you're right. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I, I definitely see that. I definitely see that and I'm all for it. Uh, I, I couldn't have you on the show and not mention the television show Mars. I mean, you're involved in one of the most groundbreaking shows on TV where they have professionals, you know, astronomers like yourself who go into detail about the challenges that we would face if we were to try to colonize Mars. And then they have written the show in a way where they weave in the drama. So they have actors actually, you know, going through the motions of, of these challenges and living through it. So you get to actually see it. You know, we hear you as a professional talk about it, and then you get to see people act it out so we can better understand what's going on. Did you ever think in your wildest dreams you'd be involved in, in a TV show about science and about uh, space exploration to that degree? Uh, no, I certainly didn't. I've done some, some shows like for History Channel and whatnot um, with where I just get to be a talking head. And I think Mars, you know, like you, you make a great point that there's really nothing else like it. And I think that having that sort of fictional story side mixed in with um, this really wide array of experts, you know, usually shows like that, um, if they're about something in space, you know, first of all, they don't usually have that fictional aspect to them. But also, you know, you usually don't get to hear from anybody who isn't an astronomer or a physicist. And what was cool for me in like watching, you know, when you're, when you're actually like filming the show, you don't get to see any, like, you know, it would be great if they gathered us all there at the same time so I could meet all these other people. But unfortunately, that's not how filming works. Um, so, you know, like you're a talking head while you're filming the show. But then after the fact, seeing that they had so many people come in who worked on issues related to, you know, the environment or, infectious diseases and how they're changing, you know, as a, as a result of changes in the climate, which of course is super applicable to everything that we're experiencing now. Like, I think that was the part of the show that I really, really enjoyed because it's something that I, in my work, I've learned a lot from asking people who aren't usually invited to comment about space to, to see what they think. You know, I've like learned a lot from scholars of indigenous history, for example, about like how to think about treaties in outer space but you know you people don't usually ask uh historians of like earth-based history about you know what they think should happen in space so mars is a great example of a show that i think does a really excellent job of blending the sort of fictional and imaginative side of science fiction while also grounding it in things that are happening here and now absolutely and, and i encourage everybody definitely you know if you have on demand or if you have access you got to find that show Mars and check it out, not just to see Dr. Lucianne really go into detail of the complex issues, once again, of, of colonizing another planet. And this ties into her, her life's work of explaining, you know, this is why we can't think of Mars as our backup plan. This is why we need to preserve what we have here. That doesn't say we can't continue to study the cosmos, but we need to respect our home, which is, is here on Earth. Um, but that, that show is just tremendous. And I think uh, folks would definitely get it no matter how, what you normally are entertained by to see people having challenges of survival and exploration, what have you. It's really just it's tremendous. Dr. Lucien, I could talk to you forever. There's so much <laughs> that you have going on that is so interesting. So I'll definitely 
I got to have you come back on the show uh, sometime in the future so we can continue this conversation. But let everybody know, please, uh, social media, any, any websites that you'd like to put out there. How can folks get more information about what you have going on and continue to, to follow you through your amazing journey? I am very active, as you know, Duke, since that's how we, we met um, on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter and Instagram is Shaka underscore Lulu. Uh, so it's S-H-A-K-A underscore L-U-L-U. Um, you can also, um, if you want, sign up for my newsletter, which is um, linked from my Twitter bio, but it's not not rocket science dot substack dot com. My, my newsletter is very uh, infrequent at the moment because <laughs> there's a lot going on in the world. But I was, for example, writing um, funny plot summaries of the original Star Trek for a while. Um, I also send out like articles that I've contributed to um, and other stuff. So uh, sign up for that if you're interested. And um, you can also just see stuff that I've worked on in the past at my website, which is tangledfields.com. Before I let you go, and, and you know, I, I mentioned in the beginning here that if E.T. were to come down on Earth, you would absolutely be, if not one of the people, you definitely would be the person who would be figuring out how to interact with E.T. Uh, definitely, you just that's how respected and how brilliant you are, and you're one of the leaders. There's no two ways about it when it comes to the space exploration and understanding what's going on out there. What do you want young people to know, Dr. Lucianne? I mean, you know, children who are coming up, who, you know, whether they're flipping channels and they, they find you on TV in one of the, you know, countless programs or you've given your expertise on, or if they're at school, you know, a lot of these schools, they show these programs from the History Channel, National Geographic, whatever. Uh, they show these programs, and, and that's how me as a young person growing up, outside of PBS with 321 Contact and shows like that, it was really, you know, in middle school and high school, seeing these tapes of these scientists and these explorers and what have you, breaking science down in a manner where I can understand and, and getting me more interested. What do you want these young people to know, especially folks who may be interested in following in your footsteps? What, what would you like them to know from you personally? I think I have two sort of main thoughts. Um, one is that you should never shy away from being the full person that you are throughout your life. Probably if you are a person who's interested in a lot of different things um, throughout your life, people will try to, you know, get you to focus on one thing or another. Um, and, you know, maybe like ask you to cut off parts of yourself, you know, certainly like as somebody who does art in the sciences, like I, uh, there's a there's a very like strong um, amount of messaging that like if you you know devote time to other you know hobbies quote unquote that you're like somehow not as good a scientist because you don't spend all of your time on science and you know that's been hard to deal with and that's just a you know as a as an illustrative example um, the ways that people try to tell you who to be or you know that you should focus on this or not that. Um, and I would say to, to listen to yourself and, you know, like the, the path might not be super clear what you're going to do with all those interests, but um, you'll figure it out. Other people's expectations of you are, are just that there are other people's expectations. Um, but you got to be true to yourself. And, you know, I think the other thing that I would, I would tell young people thinking about that is that, and this really goes for everybody, not just young people is that the future is unwritten you know, just because we have certain systems here on earth um, that are inequitable, unfair, 
uh, oppressive doesn't mean that we have to have those systems in space. And it certainly doesn't mean that we have to have them here on Earth either. It can be very hard to think about a world that is really radically different, particularly when everything is, you know, so tumultuous like it is right now and people are experiencing so much pain. I forget whose quote this is, but nothing in the world has ever happened without, you know, individuals trying to work for a change that seemed impossible at the time. Like we are the inventors of all of these systems that exist, um, you know, and we, we uphold them, the good and the bad. So, you know, if there's something in the world that you don't think is right, that's within your power to change. It might not just be you by yourself, you know, it might not take till tomorrow, <laughs> probably take longer than tomorrow, but you know, you, you should work for that because um, you actually can make a difference. What an incredible, incredible person. Really fun interview there with Dr. Lucianne. And I really appreciate it once again, that she took time out of her insane schedule to share some great knowledge and, and advice for all of us. You know, it, it is unconventional to sit here and, and have this uh, <laughs> person who is studying the planets and, and discussing uh, whether or not we should colonize Mars. I mean, what is she doing on a pro wrestling podcast? But as you heard, you know, she definitely knows some pro wrestlers and she's watched some documentaries like Beyond the Mat. And she had some ideas about the Universal Championship and, and who in the universe or where in the universe we could go to defend it. So. Good stuff there. And also, I do want to mention something, folks, and I encourage you, Google, you know, do your research. Dr. Lucianne is, is currently in litigation with American Girl. So that is the doll company. She alleges, and I'm 100% behind her on this, I, I believe it, I see it, and I believe it as well, but she alleges that American Girl created a doll in her likeness. And the similarities are striking. The way the doll looks, the, the colorful boots, the backstory behind the doll. So they essentially co-opted her, her likeness and did not give her any credit, did not get any permission from her, did not do any partnership with her, which is just embarrassing and insulting. So, you know, for this brilliant person, this woman in science, right, this astronomer here, to have to sit there and, and fight this mega company, this mega toy company, because they didn't have the respect. And, and these, are, these are my words here. And as far as I'm concerned, they didn't have the decency to personally reach out to Dr. Lucianne and, and request a partnership with her so they could use her likeness. Yes, she's a role model for children. Yes, she does deserve to have a doll, something that people can strive, you know, can look up to and, and play with and imagine that they could be her someday. Yes, that's fantastic. But that only happens if she wants it to happen. You don't just make something and, and completely disregard her and treat her like it doesn't matter. And then when she brings it up, you, you say, oh, it's not true. Give me a break. So I am with Dr. Lucianne in her litigation against these folks. I will be doing updates as it continues to develop. You know, you, you got to stand for something or you're going to fall for everything. So, again, shout out to Dr. Lucianne. We appreciate you. And I can't wait to uh, catch up with you again soon. All right. Uh, switching speeds here, folks. You know, um, there's been so much going on. We're still in a global pandemic. This COVID-19 crisis isn't over yet. Right. 
And a lot of folks are saying it's just beginning, which is just a little scary to think about. Uh, but in, in the world of pro wrestling, that has continued to keep churning on. At least the big two companies in WWE and AEW, shout out to Impact Wrestling, somehow they've managed to keep things on television as well. I know they've taped a lot of content, so they're able to keep going there. So I want to discuss that. And I also want to discuss these companies' response to the unrest in America, you know, especially as it relates to racism and, and the, the senseless murders of black and brown folk by police in America. You know, how have these wrestling companies responded to both issues? So I'm no expert on anything. So I got to reach out to somebody that, that has a little bit more knowledge than I do on some of this stuff. So without further ado, welcome back to the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast, the CEO of BlackRabbit.com. That's the uh, pop culture website that I, I just love. Got to check it out every day. And also a freelancer for WrestleZone.com, the one, the only, the respected Lavelle Porter. What's going on, Porter? Nothing much. Uh, first, I want to thank you for having me back on the show. I, I, I enjoy being on Duke Loves Wrestling, even though it's, you know, hosted by Duke. Um, but I'm here. So let's make one name. You know, there's one thing that I can always <laughs> count on from you, Porter, is even when you give me a compliment, it is the most backhanded compliment that I could ever receive. So I don't know if I Listen. should thank you, if I should pay somebody <laughs> to beat you up. I don't know. Listen, we go back like, uh, as a, a wise man once said, we go back like British and Playboys. So you, you couldn't hurt me if you wanted to. You know you love me. <laughs> yeah, if I hurt you, I hurt me. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, you know, tell me something, Porter. We have this COVID-19 crisis that's still going on. I mean, it's, it has not gone away. I'm still wearing my mask. I know you're still wearing your mask. Um, but pro wrestling has continued. AEW, WWE, even Impact Wrestling, they found a way to continue to put out content despite this global pandemic going on. So, mm -hmm. in your opinion, how have the different companies uh, done? You know, what kind of grade would you give them under these really impossible circumstances? Well, it depends on which way you want to look at, um, look at the scenario. Um, so, with... Each company still, well, each company being AEW, WWE, and Impact still running shows. It, it's, you can look at it two different ways. It's great that they're still producing content. Should they be? Not 100% sure about that. But if I had to give each of them a letter or a number grade, um, AEW would be rated slightly higher than uh, the rest, um, mostly because AEW has kind of led the, the charge as far as trying to reintegrate, trying to make some normalcy as far as the production's concerned, while still somewhat loosely <laughs> trying to follow the, the guidelines that have been set for operating in this post-COVID world. Uh, they were the first company to bring some people back into the stands, whether it just, you know, it, it obviously it was just people who work behind the scenes. But, uh, you know, I, I'm sure that you can, you, can, you can agree with this. The Trying to watch wrestling without fans is, is hard. It's extremely hard. Um, so, you know, I like the fact that they actually went as far as to seed the crowd with some people so we get a little bit of crowd noise. Um, all of these companies claim across the board that they're actually following um, COVID protocol. Uh, we can assume that's the case. We really have no way of knowing. I question how they're able to get their hands on so many COVID-19 tests to use, quote unquote, test all of their people before they come into the building. 
but the fact that they're actually going out of their way to let, let us know, hey, we know how much you quote unquote need or want wrestling. We're going to still produce this product for you. Um, but in doing so, we're also going to try to act like a, um, almost like a, a role model of sorts to show you how it should be done. Now, again, should they be doing all this? I'm not sure. And to be quite honest with you, if wrestling went away for a little while, just, you know, using COVID as an excuse, I'd be 100% okay with that because covering it the way that I do, you know, I, there is a bit of overload, um, especially the fact that when I heard that Impact was going to be doing empty arena tapings, the, in the back of my mind, I thought to myself, wasn't that how every taping was for Impact already? Sure, fine, let's run with it. But here we are. Well, you know, Porter, you don't have to treat Impact like that, okay? First of all, um, I, you have to admit, that at least over the past three weeks, something has happened in Impact where the quality of their show has jumped by leaps and bounds. It, it is, if we were going to compare that to anything they've done this year alone, I, I would argue that it's a much better product. I don't know if they have new writers or what's going on, but it just seems like there's more of a, a good faith effort to actually put out quality product as opposed to just putting something out just to put it out that that was just me making a, a terrible joke impact is literally the little engine that could as far as the professional wrestling business is concerned you can't not be ex- impressed by the simple fact that they even still exist at this point so don't don't take my my little joke as totally taking the air out of impact wrestling it's it's impressive um the fact that they can even run shows with without a crowd i don't know exactly it's i don't know that they're moving around but the fact that they're able to run the same building consistently and, and go ahead and, and you know do their hours and hours of tape tapings it's impressive um as far as wwe is concerned they've kind of been late to the party on all of this uh, we all knew that they were never going to not have shows but as far as trying to bring back some normalcy and actually make the shows interesting aw's been way ahead of them on that yeah i have to agree i have to agree i, I think that aew you know first of all their production value has just continued to be through the roof. It, it's a much better looking show, that dynamite, much better looking show. Than um, what? Than, than it, uh, pretty much all the WWE shows at the Performance Center. You know, oh, okay. Raw, this, SmackDown, it, NXT, AEW yeah. Dynamite just looks better. It just really, it mm-hmm. really does. Uh, maybe, maybe SmackDown is up there with them in terms of look, because I know that they do use, they utilize different cameras different mm-hmm. angles, but it's, it's really tough to, and I'll, I'll stick with NXT, for example. It's really tough to mm-hmm. compare the two programs visually because visually Dynamite is just head and shoulders above NXT. Where Dynamite fails is the quality of their in-ring product. They still just <laughs> have not gotten it together. They're, they're getting a lot more storyline-heavy uh, but the storylines don't really make sense. So mm-hmm. that's where they kind of lose me in the, in the translation of things. But, you know, if you, if you take somebody off the street and you show them AEW Dynamite for a few seconds, they're going to say, wow, that looks pretty good. So, you know, they, they've done a great job. And like you said, having people in the crowd, I don't know if that is something they should have been doing, but it has made a difference in terms of the feel of the product. I don't care if we never see fans in the, in the arena again, but I kind of like seeing wrestling personalities, even if they're people still training at the performance center in the case of WWE, I like Mm -hmm. seeing wrestling personalities in the crowd because 
there's something interesting about seeing this next generation of eventual star or active stars now uh, mm-hmm. being out there and reacting to the things happening in the ring. So it's just, it's just something different. I agree. We have the COVID-19 crisis, which has really just knocked us out all over the world. And then to compound that, here in America especially, racism continues to be, you know, it's like a roach. You just can't, we, we try to microwave it, try to do everything, and that sucker just ain't going away. Um, mm-hmm. It's really troubling because black and brown people in particular are being targeted and in many cases murdered. And what's sad is we're talking about law enforcement, whether they're former law enforcement or current, targeting black and brown folks and treating them as if they're this ultimate enemy that needs to be defeated. And Porter, you know, you and I are black men and we've survived so much in life. We, we survived the, the crack era. We, we survived the, the fake bloods and crips here on the East coast. We, we survived, <laughs> you know what I mean? We, we survived racism in our own ways. The Italian mob, the, the Irish mob battling within each other and against each other and, and, and what have you. Uh, so many things that you and I have managed to survive to make it to where we are. And you just celebrated a birthday. Once again, happy birthday. Thank um, you. So there, there's some challenges for us. And to think in 2020 that we're still dealing with a lot of this, this racist garbage, it's just something else. My question to you, Porter, is how do you feel about the way that the, the different wrestling companies have responded to the racial unrest here in America, and, and let's focus primarily on WWE and AEW. Well, how do you feel about the way that those two companies have responded? It's it's hard to say just from the standpoint of um, I give you an example. Um, AEW. Okay, so if I have to compare the two, AEW uh, again has sort of led the pack on being proactive in uh, making everybody making sure everybody's aware of exactly where they stand in this fight which is great. Um, I believe they were the first to post a, a message online. Um, a lot of their superstars were, uh, they, they're talking about it on their Twitter feeds and Instagram. That's great. Um, it, it makes it seem like they are allies to a certain degree. But if you look at in the brief history of the company and like even, for example, what's happening this coming week on the show, it's really hard to see that they are actually allies and it kind of rings slightly hollow. And again, I'm, I'm take, I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to try to reserve the judgment. Uh, I don't know Cody Rhodes personally. I don't know any of these people personally. I only know them based on the actions and the things that they do. Uh, so if you look at it that way, it's, it's awesome. It's great that they, they're posting about it online. They put up, put things up on the, the, the what was it a video message at the beginning of dynamite this past week? Uh, pointing out the fact that they stand with for black lives and, and so forth and so on. It's awesome. But it, until I see actual change on the show to make it seem like, you know, there isn't any racial divides and, you know, they are pushing people that should be pushed, for, you know, based on, you know, their talent um, and not so much, you know, the fact that they're friends with Cody or, or the Young Bucks. And when I say that, I mean, for example, for a hot second there, when the show first started, Scorpio Sky had somehow made himself into one of the most popular people on the show. I, I think at one point he actually did get a title shot against Jericho, but you know, it, it was what it was. It, it wasn't, it, it was a highly contested match, but we all know what the end result was beyond that. How many actual African American faces do we even see on the show? 
Uh, and when I say the show, I mean Dynamite. I don't mean AEW Dark, where they have this really weird tendency to, to shove all of the uh, people who aren't white, who aren't in the inner circle. Well said. Well said. You're absolutely right about that. And I'm going to take it a step further because <laughs> Tony Khan himself, billionaire Tony, as I call him, uh, he <laughs> knows that I have been extremely vocal about what I like and what I don't like as it relates to their company. And I do the same thing in WWE. WWE actually gets it worse because it, and it's been happening for much longer, of course. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I have a problem with a company that markets diversity, yet their diversity is not equitable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, diversity lacking equity is parity. Mm. And, 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 and I'll give you an example, you know, to, to expand upon what you said. Cody Rhodes is the, the TNT champion, you know, their, their version of the television title. He has an open challenge for anybody. And, and Mark Quinn, one half of uh, private party, former tag team champions in AEW, Mark Quinn is going to get a title shot against Cody Rhodes. Once again, this is the, their television championship, the TNT championship. Mark Quinn, in the past two years, has wrestled in one singles match. And it was a four-way match for the, for the wrestling promotion House of Glory. Mark Quinn has been in one battle royal in AEW, which technically was not listed as a tag team match because he, you know, he was in there against a bunch of other guys, you know, every man mm-hmm. for himself. But Mark Quinn is not a singles wrestler. Mark Quinn hasn't had a single singles match in AEW. He's only had one singles match technically in, in two years in all of wrestling. So how did he get a title shot against Cody Rhodes above anybody else, number one? And number two, why is it a cold match? Meaning there's no build to this. It's not like they, for the past three weeks, Cody Rhodes and Mark Quinn have been button heads or Mark Quinn has been establishing himself as somebody who is going to go out on his own separate from his tag team partner, and he's going to go after championships on his own, what have you. There's literally no investment in Mark Quinn as a single star. But, so you're just going to throw him in a meaningless match, have him lose, and then go back to the drawing board. Very similar to what they've done to Scorpio Sky. It's actually a little worse. Mm. Um, so this is an example of, well, we have a black guy, and we're going to give him some kind of title shot, but it's not equitable because you didn't invest in that guy like you did Brody Lee, like you did, you know, Paige or, or Omega or any of these guys or Matt Hardy or these guys who, who come in outside of the company who've never won gold in the company, haven't established themselves in the company. Lance Archer, you, you're allowing these guys to just come in, Brian Cage, mm-hmm. and they're getting more built. You're investing more in their development. You're establishing them more on your program to your fans. You're letting your fans know this is a special person who could be a threat to anybody's championship. And yet you, you take a guy like Mark Quinn and you just throw him in a cold match. How does that work? Uh, it doesn't. <laughs> That's the thing. And it, I don't think they're necessarily concerned with that. Uh, in a lot of situations, for example, even when you look back – years ago with uh, when John Cena had the United States title and he did his open challenge thing, the people that when you have an open challenge like that, and you're actually going to be fighting each week, 
in a lot of situations, those people just end up being meat, if that makes sense. Uh, it, it's just a, a matter of people that Cody can, can, can bowl over. The reason why I find this situation particularly offensive is because Mark Quinn is, I think, a hell of a talent for his age. You know, he's going to, I think, given some time and some more time to develop, he, he may actually turn into a legitimate single star. I don't understand the, the, the need to stick someone like that in a position where everybody knows what's going to happen. He has very little to gain from this match, unless it's a situation where Cody can't beat him and he ends up cheating the win. And that way, and then you build towards something. But I severely doubt that Cody winning the TNT title for the first time was building to this matchup angle between him and Mark Quinn. At the end of the day, it doesn't make sense. It's a huge waste of time, and it's somewhat patronizing. And this is the issue. So these companies who want to hashtag Black Lives Matter and they want to put up the black box as their social media photo. And they want to say, we stand with you. And, you know, Tony Khan, the president of AEW, and his father is the owner of the company, you know, billionaire Tony here. Uh, he even went so far as to let Linda Hogan know, Hulk Hogan's ex-wife, that she and her husband are banned from AEW, whatever that means. I don't think Linda Hogan was shopping around to go be involved in AEW. She, she's never been involved in wrestling other than being a wife of a wrestler. And mm-hmm. she's not married to Hulk Hogan. So is he talking about her current husband? I didn't even know she was married at all. Uh, so it was just kind of a bizarre statement from Tony Khan, um, considering he has people like Chris Jericho on his staff who, when you say Black Lives Matter, Jericho's response is All Lives Matter, which completely... In, in all caps, which completely misses. And that's not the first time he's done that. Completely misses the mm-hmm. point. So he has to throw 5000 This this multimillionaire, he has to throw $5,000 uh, at a cause and, 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 you know, then sneak in a Black Lives Matter just to cover himself. Well, hey, I did that. So you can't, you can't, you can't judge me now because I did that. Um, it, it's just a bizarre mismanagement of a company. And it, and it just, unfortunately, it's old hat for them. It's something that they continuously keep doing where they want to present themselves as this progressive, inclusive, diverse company. And yet again, it lacks equity. So therefore, it's just parody. It's a joke. You're actually making fun of what true diversity is, what the cause truly is. And, and I'll go a step further. You should have just kept your mouth shut. Mm. Right. Don't give me a reason to really call you out. Don't don't sit here and and promote that you're going to sell steak and all you have is French fries. It's a joke. So, you know, that's unfortunate. And listen, this isn't a pile on on AEW. I'm very underwhelmed with WWE's response thus far as well. These are the same people that hired Hulk Hogan back and allowed him to do a quote unquote uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not a press tour behind stage, but like an apology tour back, backstage to all of the talent where he basically said, based on the reports, uh, he's sorry for getting caught. <laughs> it's like, you can't, you can't, what's the saying? A bird in one hand is worth two in the other. Like, you can't, you can't do that. Like you have Hope Pullman on staff. You have, well, obviously, uh, Randy Orton is, is carrying uh, the Black Lives Matter torch right now, which completely threw me for a loop. But before then, he he got caught on tape saying the N-word. Like, you got the, the history of characters like Samba Simba 
Shelton Benjamin and his mama. Like there's so so many. They've taken advantage of so many um, stereotypes about African American people. It, it's hard. Everything they do reads hollow. That's one of the reasons why. And this is not a knock on him because I respect him and I know he believes everything he says. That's the reason why they throw Titus in front of everything because he's so eloquent and well said and, and so smart that he formulates the thoughts in, in words that they should be able to do on their own and they can't. Well, you're absolutely right. And there's no better example than the fact that the WWE as a company did not put out a statement initially at all. They just waited for Titus O'Neil to make his media circuit appearances. And then, you know, they just retweeted whatever the hell Titus said. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah, we stand with Titus. Well, yeah, Titus is so great. He's so beautiful. We stand with him. Well, Titus O'Neil is the same guy that you suspended for, you know, stepping in front of Vince McMahon and asking him to let ladies go before him in terms of walking to backstage mm-hmm. uh, after a segment. So you stand with Titus, and Titus is so great, yet you made a bigger deal out of other people on your roster doing make-a-wish appearances than you ever made for Titus O'Neil. Mm-hmm. So, again, these, these half-hearted, weak attempts, you're co-opting something. Is it genuine? It doesn't look like it to me. It could be. Mm-hmm. I could be completely wrong, Porter. I could be reading this thing completely wrong. But for me, as a black man, and I've been that my entire life, and I'll be that to the day I die, as somebody who has worked on injustice, Fight, fought against it on various levels, right? To see these companies, these multi-billionaire co-opt diversity and inclusion and pretend to be something that they probably are not, it's, it's frustrating and it's disturbing. 100%. Uh, you know, before we go off that, I, I just wanted to circle back to the Randy Orton point because you've known me for a very long time and I've never necessarily been high on high on Orton, um, especially after, you know, the incident when he was online and he said that word. But I, I got to say, amongst the wrestlers who posted during this period, I, I appreciated what he said more than most, just from the standpoint of him being an All Lives Matter guy leading up to this. And when a fan tried to call him out on that, he, he literally said, you're right, all lives do matter. But I finally realized that until Black Lives Matter as well, uh, all lives can't matter. So that shows growth. And that's not something that we've ever seen from the likes of maybe, you know, um, the upper management of the WWE. Because I, I think if you point out all of them, you could probably find tape of them doing something racially insensitive at one point. So That's well said, Porter. That's well said. And, and you know, for Randy Orton and anyone who gives a damn about Randy Orton, I, don't, <laughs> I know that, Porter, you're not doing this. And I'm certainly never going to applaud Randy Orton for being a, a decent human being because that's what you should be. You don't, mm-hmm. you don't get kudos from me for not being a racist jerk, um, but you do get kudos from me, like you said, Porter, for, for showing some growth. And, and I have to say, he, he must be a good actor because for, for my money, just based on the quality and the content of his statement, that follow-up that he made, um, it mm-hmm. seems like he's learned something and he realizes mm-hmm. And I think a lot of folks, I think a lot of folks in our social circles, too, a lot of people that we know who may have taken issue with, you know, you know, uh, Kaepernick kneeling or all these right. other things. Anytime throughout history we, we've brought up, they've, they've found ways to discredit 
the notion that racism still, well, you had a black president and here in Massachusetts, you had a black governor. Come on. There's no more racism. That wouldn't happen if there's racism. I think that, you know, for a guy like Randy Orton to say, okay, this is enough guys, you know, black lives matter because I can't believe that we're still killing black people. We're still killing mm-hmm. innocent black people. So yes, while all lives matter, absolutely. We're talking about the black lives right now because those are the lives that are being destroyed targeted and destroyed the most I, I i do tip my hat to orton for showing growth but i don't tip my hat to him for doing the right thing because he should have been doing that all along anyway so i'll sure. just leave it at that you know 100 sure, porter what, what else do you got going on there uh, i know that um blackrabbit.com that's that uh website that you know pop culture website from the the lens of the black and brown blurred uh, what's going on with the site there? Can we expect anything exciting coming up uh, this summer? I know that you're doing some revamps there and some new content is on the horizon. What can we expect this summer? Yeah, actually, um, we're going into what I like to call version three of the website. Um, I'm going to be doing a, a lot more wrestling-focused content. Um, we're working on a series of pieces on interviews with uh, professional wrestlers uh, of color. Uh, specifically independent wrestlers, uh, giving them a, a, a platform more than they already have uh, to give people the opportunity to learn about them and what they have going on so forth. Uh, I have one of those in the in the process of being completed and a couple of more in the back burner that should be very interesting. I'm not going to say any names. Uh, there are some good ones in there, but you know, uh, definitely go ahead and give the, the site a look and check those out when they drop. The new version of the site should be up and running as of July 1st. Uh, so you can go ahead and, you know, mark that date on your calendar. And if you want to go ahead and check us out on social media, you can hit us up on Twitter, uh, blackrabbit.com, B-L-A-Q-U-E-R-A-B-B-I-T.com, um, and the same thing on Facebook as well. Before I let you go, Porter, you know, I, I have to ask you probably the most important question that you'll hear all year. Um, so please, you know, put your, put your glasses on, focus. How'd you know they were off? Well, you know, I, I know you, so put your glasses on, focus. Uh, you, you, you're going to need to say the right thing, the right answer oh, to this go. question. Is this, you, did my wife hack you? What is, what is happening? <laughs> Lavelle Porter, CEO of BlackRabbit.com, you know, the well-respected, uh, brilliant mind in the wrestling world and beyond, comic book expert, you name it. What did you get me, the Duke, for your birthday this year? Uh, see, the way my bank account's set up, right? I have to slide my card on the weekends, and then I have to make sure that I have to tilt it to the right. But then if it's a Tuesday or Thursday, the card doesn't work. So the, the present had, um, wait, what, what was that? I, I can't hear you. You're breaking up, Duke. You know, what a piece of work that Lavelle Porter is. I, I can't believe I can't believe that he had the audacity to run away when I was asking him the most important question of the year. What did he get me, the Duke, for his birthday? You know, what a a selfish guy he is. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, The well-respected Lavelle Porter, as always, love chopping it up with you. Dude is brilliant, knows what he's talking about, and he's not afraid to tell the truth. And I think that in a crazy world where so many people are doing everything in their power 
to ignore the truth. It's always good to partner up and to hear from and to learn from those that aren't afraid to tell the truth. I mean, that is a prime example of what it means to be free, right? I think about Dr. Lucienne, who we just had on earlier as well. That is a free thinking, free living woman. She is not afraid to tell the truth about what's going on here on earth and even in the universe. You know, equity and diversity and what it means to, to have morals. Truth. We got to seek it out, folks, and we have to continue to amplify those voices uh, because we're hearing so much muck out there that it's time to tamp some of that stuff down. That's for sure. And, and I want you to know that I'm not letting any wrestling promotion or any wrestler off the hook either. Okay. You can't turn a blind eye to what's going on out there and you benefit from our dollars. I spend a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of money on pro wrestling on all the various levels from the, from the very top to the indies and everything in between. And a lot of you listening out there, you do the same exact thing for these companies to line up. They love their black dollars. Don't they? They better give a damn about black lives. That's right. Once again, thank you to my guests and thank you for listening, folks. I really appreciate you. I need you to stay safe out there. I need you to keep your head on straight. Duke Loves Wrestling on Twitter, on Facebook, at Duke Loves Wrestling on Gmail. Shoot me a message. I had somebody reach out to me recently, and he was going through a tough time. Really tough time. I'm talking, it was, it was getting pretty intense. And we managed to have a, a very fruitful conversation and support each other and what have you. And I'm happy to say that that young man is, is doing all right. Reach out, okay? You are not alone out there, folks. We are a community. We have to support each other. And we're going to make it together. That's for sure, okay? So until next time, be kind to yourselves. Be kind to others. Take it away, Tony Schiavone. This is Tony Schiavone, and we're desperately out of time on Duke Love Wrestling. 